Chemchenko. How are you? What's up, Carlo? I'm well. How are you? I'm excited to have this discussion today. Yeah, absolutely, man. This is a conversation that is definitely uh, very, very primed to be had. Uh, oh, yes. I'm very happy to see that Michael has joined us today. I pinned up Michael's TLDR um, about this particular holding. Uh, outstanding, deep, deep dive. Also, Ali, great to see Alyssa Jordan in the house. Um, I want to throw some flowers at Alyssa. I heard that her speaker uh, presentation at VCon on the community stage was absolute fire. And she represented the Web3 legal community very, very, very well. I'm glad that you got on that stage and uh, would love to hear how that went for you. And uh, very, very happy for you. Ash is in the house. Ash is uh, obviously the, <laughs> the counter point to the debate today, Jenko. We're hoping to get Ellie in the house. And you know that when Ellie and Ash get together, it's always interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm excited. Um, yeah, let's go. I, I'm bringing up the case now and that thread. Um, hopefully Ellie can jump in. There was also some other news this week. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to, to be with all of you and, and we can chat. Um, I'll briefly unpack your, it. I'll do yeah, my thing. Go ahead. <laughs> Did we do our disclaimer? Yeah, oh, I got to do my disclaimer too, Jenko. Well, okay. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on LexLine. Uh, we bring this in conjunction with our friends at Rug Radio. It's brought to you by yours truly, Carlo and Jenko, where we talk about the latest legal developments in Web3, NFT, and blockchain law. Nothing we talk about should be considered legal or financial advice. If you have a specific legal question, as always, you should consult a lawyer and do it privately. Don't do that on a recorded Twitter space because we do record these. And if you miss it today, if you come up and speak and you want to hear yourself played back, you can always check us out on Apple and Spotify podcast. And we're coming up on almost 150 of these, Jenko. Pretty amazing milestone. Oh, very good. Congrats. Very <laughs> Congrats. Good. You had a little something to do with it. <laughs> Is Ash really here, or did he just kind of sign in for his flight? Um, we'll see. We will see. Maybe he'll join us. I know he's trying. I know Ellie messaged that she might be a little bit behind, so let me set the table on what's going on. This has been a case we've been talking about. It is the Warhol Estate versus, versus a photographer by the name of Goldsmith. Uh, Goldsmith is a very well-known, respected photographer who does a lot of uh, photographs of rock and roll and music industry celebrities. She did some pictures of Prince and she was approached by a magazine to run uh, her picture, her copyrighted work. I believe it was Vanity Fair. They wanted her license to run that picture and they acquired that license. Oh, Mike came up to speak. I don't think anyone can give a better TLDR on this than Mike. Would you mind giving a TLDR on this, Mike? Because I'm sure you can do it far better than I can. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Um, hey, everyone, and thanks for inviting me up. Um, so, yeah, this is a case that a lot of people, a lot of artists, creators, folks who care about copyright have been looking at for a long time. And basically the issue is on uh, what is copyright infringement versus what is fair use. Uh, and the issue really goes down. And so that's pretty important, right? The dividing line between when are you 
making a derivative work of someone else's, uh, you know, art or creation and therefore a copyright infringer? Uh, or when are you actually, you know, remixing, riffing off, um, you know, doing something in kind of an allowable way? Um, so, yeah, famous case, um, waiting a long time for the Supreme Court to come down with a decision on it. And they came down with this decision yesterday. Um, and, yeah, concerns. Um, pretty famous like orange prince which is a very classic kind of in the warhol way but it was based off of uh acknowledged to be based off of a photograph uh by this this woman lee goldsmith um and so yeah the pictures are up in the thread like you can see them side by side like the one is the warholization um of uh the prince photo and the issue is you know is that copyright infringement or is that fair use um so a lot generating a lot of interest because you know how do the courts navigate this how do the courts assess you know whether art is transformative or not do we want the courts doing that um but a really important one and so yesterday the court came out with a decision um like a 7-2 decision um basically against uh warhol's estate basically saying like this is not fair use um and looked not so much at the art but at like the use of the art and we can talk more about that um so uh you know very interesting majority decision uh very uh, feisty dissent by justice kagan basically saying this is terrible for artists and creators but i'm not so sure it's terrible it's definitely different um it's a, it's a kind of a different new kind a test uh but i think it does still provide like some uh some good guidance for when something is fair use and when it's not without getting into without judges getting into determining when art is transformative enough which is a super thorny issue so it's interesting because goldsmith originally got paid as i understand it four hundred dollars to license the photograph <laughs> to yeah. to vanity fair then an undisclosed amount was paid to warhol to create his silkscreen derivative work and if people are not familiar with his process, what he basically does is, from, from reading the opinion, he takes the print photograph and sends it out to a silk screener who flattens the image, who creates the silk screen to his specifications and likings. And then when he gets it the way he likes it, he then silk screens it. And that is his signature work. As I understand it, Mike, the court was not so much hung up on the fact that Warha is a very distinguished, distinguishable style. The issue is that he made additional copies of this and that later the Warhol estate was approached about using one of his copies of that Goldsmith photograph and they went ahead and used it. And when Goldsmith found out, she uh, was uh, not happy about it and contacted the estate for Warhol because it exceeded the scope of her license and right. she did not get compensated for that republication and that's really the crux of the argument here. Warhol pushed back and said that it was sufficiently transformative and it was identifiable as a Warhol work and that distinguished yep. it enough from her original photograph. That sort of sets the table and it went up. The trial court sided, as I understand it, for Warhol. Then the appellate court sided for Goldsmith. And then it went to the Supreme right. Court where they now rendered this opinion it has huge implications for the space because it really now sort of sets, I think, a little bit more clarity on how far a derivative can go, what is considered fair use. And then I think the broader issue that might be interesting for the space and for us to discuss is what does this do for AI training models? Because the training models are based on copyrighted artwork that is fed into the training models. 
does that dilute yeah. does that dilute the ability of the AI artist to be able to make money off of their derivative works? I think that's the next thing that yeah. might get teed up in the Supreme Court. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's all right. There's, there's one slight um, clarification on the facts, as I understand it. Basically, originally, you know, Warhol based, did this, this that orange print, which was the cover of one of those magazines, um, and identified the source material, the source artist as Goldsmith. So when Warhol got paid, Goldsmith got paid 400 bucks. But he made a whole series of these, um, as he does, and later, you know, used them in other magazines. And what was what the court really was looking at here was not so much the art, but like the use for it and the fact that Goldsmith. Um, you know, even though she's not a household name, like she takes celebrity photos, she also sells her pictures um, to be on the covers of magazines. And both of the and she was basically competing with Warhol um, in that same field. Um, so looking at the actual use. And, and so I think that's that's kind of what the court said is the analysis It's not so much you look at like how transformative the art is, how different it is, but really like what's the use. And in this case, it was both commercial. It was basically both being used to be sold to magazines, to caption articles about prints. And in the opinion, they have examples of, you know, Lee Goldsmith's own photo of prints, you know, side by side with Warhol's. And and you're right. She didn't get paid. She got paid that once 400 bucks. But then he did this whole series. He's he's selling it to magazines. She wasn't getting paid at all. And, you know, what the majority said is she, she should be. Um, the AI issue, I think, is super interesting. We can talk about it more. I think there are, um, you know, a, a lot of hurdles to applying copyright case, you know, copyright infringement to the AI. But but in terms of the fair use question. Right. So one of the questions or one of the defenses is like, hey, you know, we're transforming this into something else. It's transformative. It's fair use. I think under this decision, um, it's basically going to look at like the business and market rather than the, the how transformative it is. And I think it actually strengthens the hand of folks like Getty um, and people who say like this, you know, basically you're training on our images because one of the points that Getty made when it sued um, Stability AI, one of these lawsuits, the one in Delaware was, hey, like we're now competing with these folks to sell images. They're using our own images um, to you know, create theirs. And then we're competing with them for the same in the same market. And I think that's going to be what's more relevant on fair use um, than kind of how transformative is the art? How different is it? How is it made, at least under this decision? So for purposes of artists in the space, it sounds to me like Warhol's estate was okay in doing the, the silkscreen prints and putting them out as unique uh, derivative, trans transformative pieces of art. Where the line may have been crossed as far as the Supreme Court is concerned is commercializing it in the same exact way, which is using it in a print uh, medium, a magazine, uh, for purposes of a story about Prince, which sort of overlapped with the original work Goldstein did. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. Interesting debate. Jenko, uh, this has definitely ramifications for the space, and we do have some lawyers in the house that I think may have some insights on this. Josh is in the house. Al Allison, I want to bring you up. Uh, I want to hear from you. Alyssa, I apologize, my bad. Alyssa, I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on this and also your experiences at VCon. Welcome to the stage and great to have you in the house. Hey, thank you. I, you know, I came to listen and learn because when you guys talk about IP stuff and you get Mike Kasdan in the room, I can't help but come in and learn. So 
I am not an IP lawyer, so I I gain so much value from what you guys educate everyone on all the time. So thank you for bringing that value. Um, yeah, and look, thank you to you as a fellow Rug Radio creator. We appreciate what you do for the space as well, and and thank you so much for joining of us. Of course, of course. I I didn't get to see um, any a lot of the our fellow lawyers at VCon, but I, I was able to connect with a few and met some new new Web3 lawyers. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, I love how these Web3 events bring us all together and we all seem to find each other. It's kind of weird. We we like yeah, we give up sure. some some sort of like lawyer vibe and and find one another. Um, and then also our friends who aren't lawyers feel obligated to introduce us to one another because obviously we all like each other because we all lawyers, right? Hey, look, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Hands down, the funnest legal community I've ever been involved in. Everybody's so cool and doing different <laughs> things. It's really fun. Very cool. Yeah, thanks for joining, Alyssa. Um, Can I real quick take you back to that before we Yeah, you have your hand yeah, up. Go so ahead, one of the things I am trying to retire from the practice of law, I don't practice Web3 law. I like to joke that I practice Web None law. Um, but... <laughs> To that end, uh, the people that I've met in this space, including Carla, Ray, and, and the people you've mentioned before, I don't think we've met before, Alyssa. My dog also is very... Oh, we have met before. Ah, we have met before. Co-op. Okay, anyway. Um, sorry. It has renewed my faith in, number one, the legal discourse and having, like, heated uh, measured debates, but also, you know, that that lawyers aren't all terrible. Like I hate lawyers and I'm myself included and, and I got very jaded with the people I've met here and the, the energy and like the kind of the love for the, the idea of law and what it can do uh, is just really refreshing. So thanks Carlo and, and Jinko for bringing this to us, you know, for Lexline that, that connecting us in a way that is a little bit more direct um, and letting us nerd out with you uh, at, during Lexline's. Elizabeth, always appreciate having you in the house. And and Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us as well. Want to kick it to Josh because I think Josh does have some thoughts on this as an artist and a lawyer. I feel and like a lawyer Josh for artists. Late, like like getting ready to be called <laughs> today. First of all, can it can everyone Go, hear me? Welcome, Josh. Josh is a big part of that discourse and everything that, that is good about this. This show, Josh is a big part of, but I do want to hear your substance, Josh. What do you have? So can you guys hear me real quick? Okay, yes, sir. Great. Welcome, Josh. He's scuba diving in oh, Florida. Yes. Oh, Go yes. ahead. Uh, my headphones are not great sometimes. So first of all, um, Ray already knows this. I'm extremely passionate about art generally in this decision. So any passion that is going to come out of my mouth and when I describe people or, you know, people wanted to make arguments, I'm referring to the court here at the Supreme Court. And that's where it's all directed to. Mike, your explanation is phenomenal. Thank you so much. But I got to tell you guys, I'm furious by this decision. I am just absolutely livid by this decision. Now, in full disclosure, I haven't read the full majority decision as of yet. I've read a lot of the dissenting opinion, but I know I'm familiar with the issues. And I think there's a fundamental flaw here that's really frustrating for me as an artist and as an art attorney and as someone that's seen these cases and read these cases throughout the years. I agree with Justice Kagan. I think they are going back on years of copyright law. And I don't think they realize that they're doing it. They are conflating two separate factors into one factor and they're incorporating the use of the image after it's been created right and where it ultimately lies down 
to then conflate that as, well, they're competing in the same space. And I think that's a major problem. I don't think that helps um, artists at all. And as far as giving artists direction of how far their derivatives could go, if we're going off of what the court says, where they're saying, well, all he really did is change a couple colors and that's not really all that much, you don't have a whole lot of rope, right? There's not a lot of room to go. So I don't think this decision personally gives any sort of framework for artists. Um, I don't think the questions that artists are going to ask me about, hey, can I do this? Hey, can I do that? Which is never a fun question to, to get and is difficult to answer and you got to go through the whole spiel. I don't think it gives any clarity. It depends. It, it always depends, right? But this decision to me appears to completely lack context of art history, what Warhol did, how he did it, how he, what level he was at when this occurred, and the facts of the art, okay? The concept of decontextualizing images is huge within the art world. I do it in my art all the time. I'll draw real-life objects in these weird little voids that are animated. Why? I do it because when you recontextualize something, it has to make you think of it differently. It, it forces you to re-examine it. And maybe you come up with a different idea from it, and I come up with a different idea from it. That's the point of art, to create conversations. Warhol has an oeuvre. He has this history. And the process is not just sending it out to a, a silk screener. He had his people work on it. He had his people do this process. They had the Warhol factory. It's integrated into who he is as an artist. So what, my point of saying that too, by the way, is not to necessarily say that all, all anything that he touches is automatically transformative or that he's incapable of committing copyright infringement because I think anyone can do it. But I don't think this analysis or the way the court went about analyzing these facts takes into any of that into consideration. So it makes me very frustrated and angry because I don't think they even did the analysis correctly. Maybe they end up at the, the same result. Maybe. Maybe they do. But I don't think the way they went about it is helpful. And I think it's detrimental going forward. Well, you're getting thumbs up from Mike. And before we kick it back to Mike, uh, it is interesting because there's a balance to be struck here, if I understand it correctly, Josh, that you want to have copyright to protect the artist and the artist's ability to make derivative use of their work. But you also don't want to have the copyright be so restricted that it limits other artists' ability to build off of that work and to make fair use of the work. This is a fascinating yeah. uh, debate, Jenko. And now, does this <clears throat> skew the counterbalance here? Well, I don't. I don't think Josh and Mike are saying different things. Mike pointed out that it seems to be that they're going in the direction of taking these business factors as much more heavy than they did in different data points where they were talking about this transformative and like, like putting down. Uh, uh, plots of where the line is. So I don't think they're, they're on different sides of any debate. It doesn't need to be a debate, but um, Josh sees it as wrong, but that's where the Supreme Court comes in. Like they can make law. They can ignore the prior cases. This is the stage to do that procedurally. So it's, they're not bound by the prior analysis as much as um, some would like to, them to be. So it seems to be protective of the business of art, not necessarily artists versus non-artists. I think that's a false framework. Mm -hmm. Is this good for artists or bad for artists? It's really good for people, for those who make money off of the copyright who others may want to use. 
in their art. <laughs> but uh, Mike, what do you think about Josh? And then we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll bring up. Some yeah, more. I mean, like you said, I, I I agree with a lot of what Josh said, and I understand. I think this is a really I think it's actually a really tough case. And I think the, the example of, of recontext of art, you know, recontextualizing something, I think the, basically my reading of this is the court. And I mean, they said it, you don't have to be a genius. Right. But, but I, but I did read the whole 88 pages or whatever. So I think what the court was worried about um, was the exception swallow was, was two things. One, um, the fair use exception, swallowing the rule. Right. Because under the copyright statute, making derivative works is one of the acts of infringement. Um, but when 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 it's fair use and transformative, even though it's a copy or a derivative, it's allowed. Um, so that was definitely one of the concerns of the majority. Um, and I should say that the point that Josh made is super important. Um, and many, many people agree, many artists, um, first of all, it's a bit of a false kind of disconnected thought to say like there's this business side and then there's like the art side, like artists are in business. Um, so saying you can sell this in a gallery, but you can't sell this in a magazine because that's art and this is business is kind of not really it. Um, but I think the second thing that the court was really concerned about, although they didn't really say it so much was how can I be in, how can I really ever say like, this is transformative, but this is not as a judge. Um, if, if taking the same thing and putting it in a different context is transformative and that's art and that's just the same image, how do I, how do I have a principal test that says that's, this is an infringement sometimes, but sometimes this is allowed. And I think what the court did is said, you know what, we're just going to dodge it entirely. And I agree. It's a change in the law. Um, it's a change where, the, where they're saying for fair use factor one, um, you know, it does kind of meld into the sort of, is this commercial, but they're saying, we're going to look at the business stuff, not, not, you not at, not at the art, not at how it's created, and and I think I, I raised I talked about a little of this in the thread. Like it does create some complexities. I think they're hopeful it'll be worked out. Like that. Like what if something is so transformative um, that it's so super different, even though it's a derivative and it's being sold commercially? Like shouldn't there be some space for that? And maybe that works out because you can say that's not an infringement. It's not substantially similar, but it's definitely a change in the law. But I think that's what the court was concerned about. And, and I think this issue of, you know, do we protect the original artist or do we, do we, do we protect later comers? Um, I think, you know, the, the thing that Kagan nailed in her dissent and she has a really like great description of it. She goes through all sorts of different arts, like this reclining Venuses and pictures of them. And like art always builds and so, so on other art. And there's always some degree of copying or derivation. Um, so it is, you know, really important to kind of not get this wrong. Um, so I think this was their, their, their crack at it. I think it was a tough case because when I look at it, yes, I know he's Andy Warhol and I'm not an artist, but, and I think that that's important, right? But when I look at it, I'm like, okay, that's an orange prince. Like, it looks a lot like this thing. He's competing with him. Um, so I can see it. But, you know, do we really want judges? Like, how do you kind of, you know, draw a principled line? I think that was what the court was concerned. They took a crack at it. It's a, definitely a change in the law. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. But I totally am, uh, I appreciate, like, the perspective of the artist saying, well, what about the fact that this is transformative? Sure, I'm going to use it in business because I'm an artist. That's what I do. Josh, this is, before we go to you, this is one of those cases where the big guy was in the little guy's shoes. 
like it's Andy Warhol is the derivative artist here. And that's always interesting to me. Josh, what's your comment? All, all amazing points that have been made. And, and I totally empathize and understand the, the concern with wanting the exception to swallow the rule or, or however the phrase was made. But I think in their doing so, they've really cratered a lot of protections. I think they have a failing of understanding of how most artists operate. The, the idea or the concept that artists, most of whom really don't use contracts, honestly, like I, I try to get them to use them, but not all of them do. It's, it's a newer thing that a lot of them are starting to do with smaller artists. If you start limiting it to analysis, when do they license this and when do they do that? First of all, most artists don't do that. Second of all, they're not going to have the wherewithal to actually then have the money to go to a lawyer and go through this whole full entire process. They're not going to. So here's my thing. They've tried to create a benefit for artists. And in doing so has created an impediment not only to create more transformative works, but also an impediment to how to actually enforce some of these things. I mean, in the past, you know, we, it's true. We don't really want judges analyzing what is art. But this isn't a question of what is art. It's is it transformative? And is it transformative is not limited to the physical item. If it was limited to the physical item, half of the works of art that are considered great works of art won't even be considered art. They're just objects that someone put somewhere else. You're completely removing the entire 20th century of art history and the 21st century of art. And I think that's really bad. Um, it, it's really difficult. I, I, I empathize, again, I empathize with people whose works have been taken or, or made derivatives of, but they're just sort of missing the whole, I think they're missing everything. And the, the point of Kagan making, that, that Kagan was making is, now is it gonna be a game of paper? Well, this overlaps with that, so we can pay them a license. And I think a good example is the Blurred Lines case. Um, I don't know if anyone else has noticed, and maybe I'm conflating here. Ever since that decision, it, we can all agree that it changed music and a, a lot of ways that you would get your licensing, right? You, you'd, when in doubt, you've got to go for it now. There's no question like, if you're an artist. I don't know if you guys have noticed, I've heard a lot more songs where instead of it being like a sample, it's literally like the original song like a song from the 90s, just reinterpolated with new lyrics over the top of it. Why is that? Because if you're buying, if you have to go and buy the sample before making the work, then why change it, right? I think you're going to limit creativity. And here's the other thing I'll say, and then I'll stop, um, is that, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, no, it's a good one, too. I'm sorry, please. I'll, I'll Josh, would you think it. that if, if you're limiting the creativity, are you also limiting hurting all of us, the culture, for getting the benefit of that conversation? Yes, absolutely. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. So it's always been you can make the art, and if it's infringing, it's infringing. You're going to get sued, and you're going to lose. So I don't know. That not, was my I'm, point. Would, so yeah. wouldn't it get in, stopped at a different point? Make your, make your point, Josh. No, that's, basically, that's what jumped like, out at me when I read through this. We already had a mechanism. We already had a tool for judging infringement. And Kagan cites the Rose Ackhoff case, and I think it's a great example because you would recognize the original. There's not a lot of differences between the Roy Orbison song and the two live crew song. Shout out South Florida, right? I mean, I love that case. I think that Supreme Court got it really right there. And I think they're going back on a lot of those principles. You, we already had this analysis. We already have the way the courts have analyzed these in the past. Warhol has been victorious in the past. Richard Prince has been victorious and lost. Jeff Koons has been victorious and lost. So it's all over the board. So, I mean, the courts were already doing this thing. So did they really need to put their foot in it and make a massive tweak at this moment in time? 
one last thing. Warhol's work is particularly interesting for this case because his work isn't just commenting on consumerism, but the business of the art world, when you listen to his diary, is also part of the art itself. And I'm sure that that was ignored in the case. Josh, do you think this has a chilling effect on the use of fair use going forward? Me personally, yes. Because I think it's really easy to fall into the habit of looking at the work and saying, well, it's all, you know, it's just orange. They just made it orange. So that's not a big change. Like how much further than that can I go beyond? And I think it's going to scare people. Personally. The practical chilling effect is at, you know, the conference table in Josh's office where Josh has an obligation to explain the latest Supreme court case and an artist or any client, the most sophisticated, brilliant person is picking up a fraction of what we try to communicate to them. And it skews the bird in the ear of the client where they're, they have to be more conservative. Um, that's very interesting, Carlo. I think there is an effect there. Well, Ash is pacing up and down in the airplane, as I can picture him in my mind, trying to parachute into this space. I did uh, pin up something that he dropped in response to this notion of celebrity art artists getting maybe uh, a bit of a pass or, or bigger latitude in this case. I did drop that in there, Ash, for anyone who wants to read up on that. Thank you for dropping that in there. I think you could better state it uh, far better than I can, but... I appreciate you dropping your insights. Uh, we have another speaker in the house, fineartcrypto.eth. What are your thoughts on this ruling? Uh, hello, everybody, and thank you for the voice. Uh, I'm a visual artist, uh, but I've been also a commercial and advertising photographer for many years, um, based here in Miami at this point. And I handled for many years, the, I was the president of the Photographers Trade Organization here, so we were always working about copyright issues, etc. And I just want to say a few basic, I mean, what to me are basic uh, items uh, in regards to this type of situation. First one, uh, the the fact that, you know, the, the, the law system and lawyers uh, with their knowledge can, you know, do whatever way, uh, different ways of uh, proposing ideas and counter offers or whatever. But the basic facts remains that to be just to begin with, the original photographer who created the original image uh, received just uh, some whatever you know payment uh, originally, uh, and then uh, what strikes me as odd that I never liked is the fact that somebody else takes uh, somehow you know uses that, that material as their new uh, starting point for a new piece of art, but then the Warhol State in this case takes full ownership of this new art and then they charge over $10,000 for this for the new piece without any considerations on, on regards of royalties or any any other consideration to the original creator of the picture. Uh, this brings uh, to begin with a situation in which uh, documentary photographers should begin, you know, playing hard and harder on the way they license their work because as the, the time passes by, all these pictures, you know, that really document historic events may have more value than they thought originally when they sold them to magazines or newspapers, uh, because those uh, people that, you know, disappear from, from the planet in time, uh, those images may have more value and more value in time, especially if somebody's going to reuse them for something else. My second point is in regards to the creative development 
when uh, the, the Supreme Court, uh, Kagan and others are questioning the fact that uh, creativity is being you know, blocked or something, I have to, to question, first of all, why new creatives need to copy stuff from original creators that already did the stuff. I mean, if, uh, how uh, can we talk about development and growing and you know, making new things popping out if we are just reusing old stuff and copying from other people, uh, just uh, as it is happening, as is the case in this situation. Thank you. Great points. Great points. Josh has something to say on this. Go ahead, Josh. I, I also think it's worth noting that Goldsmith did try to limit the, the, the extent of the license by saying that they could use it, I believe, for the cover page and then for a quarter page of the article. So she did try to gatekeep what they could do with with her photography and it sort of went on from there josh add whatever you have ellie's in the house she's requesting to speak ellie we've we've kind of jumped into the conversation we've kind of given the tldr of the case and i'd love to hear from you with your specific thoughts on the ai implications of this because you've put a lot of thought into ai and the training materials going into ai and how this case might impact it but josh what are your thoughts so I'll, this will be my last point now that Ellie's in the room, and I'll, I'll back away what everyone else thought. No, 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 no. Stay in, stay in pain. The, the points made, I think, are really good, and I agree. I would love to see artists, and photographers in particular, definitely take more ownership and more control over the licensing and what, what rights they give away. It's something I discuss with people quite a bit, actually, right? Especially now that we have examples of new versions and new models through the NFT space. But you raise an interesting point, and I think it kind of demonstrates at least what I view as like a dangerous road. So we're talking about these documentary photographers and withholding the rights of these work or, or not just letting uh, a magazine printed or whatever it may be. I think if that goes down too strongly, right? I'm not saying it will, but you can see a world where then it becomes the norm. Instead of these photos proliferating quickly across news media, the very things that create the historical significance that then creates the value for the art in the first place, if it becomes a very protracted, long drawn out process for these magazines and these periodicals to even get the photos to the consumers, they'll never gain the historical significance in, in theory. I mean, again, it might not turn out to be that way, but that seems very plausible to me. So I, I, we don't know where it's going to go, but already I think that to me that that stuck out to me from that comment. Josh, you've also made the point and I'll reiterate it and fine art. I, I appreciate you coming up. I, I feel I don't think folks are in disagreement that if someone copies and doesn't give attribution that there's a wrong there and we want to build a system to stop that. I think there's different vantage points on what is copying and what is integrating as part of this ongoing artistic conversation um, that uh, uh there's a, that's that I think is the heart of where Josh like without if you have to where start from scratch like what is starting from scratch like you're influenced somewhere, and you're you've you've taken in a lot and that maybe there's a lot of value to all of us when there are when you when we do have a world where you're allowed to comment on others so I'll tee up like the philosophical debate that way as Ellie kind of joins us and you can get into how you read. The opinions philosophy, it doesn't need to be good or bad, but what are your strong comments here? Thanks for giving us time today, Ellie. Sorry for being late. I was at a, another meeting that took longer than expected, but um, I, I'm sure. I thought uh, you were flying to, to Jamaica for a hand-filed 
I should trademark. have. <laughs> I wish my my firm let me do that. That I think that that's Kevin who gets to do that, not anybody else. Um, what did you, I? I'm sad I missed it. I wanted to hear Josh's opinion just to see how wrong he was. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, I'm super wrong, obviously. <laughs> what did you say, Josh? Um, I know Josh is very poor artist. But I, I honestly think this protects artists. I don't, I don't see how this is any negative. I, I know I've seen, I've heard. Do a lot you of really things. see it as pro or negative artist? Is it really that dynamic? Like, how do you see the framework of the case? Yeah, just, I just, I think this is just a one. I, I, I agree with the takes that most of you have had that the license had to do with it because it's the same commercial use for or purposes. But I think the fact that there was such a, especially at the beginning of the of the um, decision, there was such an emphasis on the. The transformativeness, or like the degree of of, of in, in based on that license, or like the the works of our, that they already had based on the license that had acquired from this photographer, um, I think it tells you something. I think this that the fact that they started with that, it it told me a lot. Um, and I think that if you were the photographer whose whose um whose license was acquired in the first place, and then that license kind of they created works, I think you will be pro. You will be. You would say yourself as a pro artist. This protects my work. Um, well, are there are there mechanisms to per, to prevent a business to per, business or unfair deceptive practice? Like Michael made the comment where the court is now emphasizing the business impact. Is that why you said it was important or jumped out at you that there's kind of a different in tone or different um, emphasis there by the court? Wait, Mike, what do you think? I, I missed, I always say missed the beginning, but I want to know why you thought there was an impact or, or the business impact. Like, what did you get from that? Yeah, instead know. of me paraphrasing, no, Mike, yeah, make that point. That from him. Yeah, no problem. Hey, Ellie. Um, no, I was just, I was just really just summarizing the opinion earlier um, and basically saying that the, the court, basically instead of looking at like the degree of transformativeness of the art like you said it's looking at the business use the marketplace use whether there's competition in the way they're used and basically saying look both these things are um, being used to sell to magazines to caption articles about prints and therefore um, you know this use in this case is not fair and that was the court's analysis there but I think it's interesting to say like this is artist friendly because I think I think we also have to keep in mind, like, this is, we might have to go a little deeper than that, because this is a case of an artist versus an artist, and it's, like, mm -hmm. you know, friendly to which one. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. all So that's why I'm, like, so, I'm in the middle. I, I agree with you. I think there was a lot of emphasis about the um, the purpose and character of the use, uh, the trans yeah. transformation of the, of the images, but I don't, maybe I'm in the middle as to, I don't see how this particularly stops any artists or harms them. So I, I guess, uh, is that something Ash said? Because I know Ash, for the first yeah, time ever. Yeah, I know Josh like, had talked about it. Yeah. I guess Josh, and, but, but also, like, I, I was thinking about it as you were speaking also. And, you know, the court, the court basically said, like, look, we're going to look at the business use. And, of course, they're both selling to magazines. And, therefore, they're directly competing. But, I mean, I could take, I could take the position that that's a simplification. And that maybe one of them was, like, I want a photograph of Prince. And the other one was, like, I want a Warhol. Um, and therefore, they're not really competing. So, I mean, I think there's there's still arguments to be made on the facts about this stuff. It'd be interesting to see how it's applied. That is true. They're just not competing in this particular case, guys. They're just not competing. Warhol right. is not competing with Goldsmith. It, take the competition out. Ellie, do you feel that if now Josh and, and, and you and others in the seat have to explain to clients when they say, can, can I do this or can I not do this? Where is the line? 
the line has become more restrictive to artists who are asking that question or has it become more clear? That's a great question. Mm. I it's can so fact specific. What? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, please. No, 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 please. I, I, you were going to, I, I was still kind of simmering on the question because I think it's a great question about uh, I'm going to tell clients. About uh, the, okay. Well, thank you. The only thing I want to add uh, just to round up my, my comments is that uh, as photographers being in the commercial advertising arena, what we are experiencing since many years ago, you know, almost since forever, is that uh, we uh, issue, uh, we provide a series of images, we issue a license in terms, uh, and uh, most of the corporations advertise them, all the corporate world, let's say in general, uh, they come back with their own contract and their own terms. And they, it, it's always a, a discussion on how me as a creator, uh, I'm going to enforce my copyright and my licensing rights uh, that I'm granting uh, if the contract that I, the, if they're, they're trying to push me into signing their contract. So the, the situation ends up in this case that when you, if you surrender, if and when you surrender your copyright or some licensing rights to a, to a company uh, and they grab the rights of those images, you cannot even use those images yourself for your self-promotion or your portfolio or your website because, you know, they, when, when it's time for the artist to surrender the copyright, corpor corporations want it easy. But when they own it, they enforce it like the devil is jumping on you. That's a, that's a different situation that we're experiencing. That's, they, that is an interesting take. From the artist's perspective, that is an interesting take. That's actually I very hope, interesting. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say that. Go ahead, I, I like that you said that because if I was on the other side, if, if I was representing a larger company or a business, I I would start with what the licensing in Goldsmith did, which or that's where I would start, really, because they, they licensed, the initial license said no third-party use. So I would have kind of pushed back on that it depends on who I'm representing to be quite honest but I think I would start with the terms of that specific license because if that license would have been expanded to I know Warhol acted on his own and, and I get that but if the the contract with the company and those works of art would have been fallen under the the, the initial contract between Warhol and the the magazine company that would have been one thing and then the license between the phot photographer and the and the magazine company that then hire Warhol. I, I hope I'm not confusing anyone, but I, I, Mike, I'm sure that you spoke about the summary, but the initial issue was this magazine company got the license so that Warhol could create um, a work of art based on that license. So I would start at the licensing um, point and see how I could push back so that this doesn't really happen. And I would probably ask for an assignment if possible. I know that's kind of like not the, um, the, the, the thing that an artist would want, but I would push back. That's after the fact, though. That's that's when they're in the office and there's a dispute. Right. Find ways to say, OK, let's litigate this. Let's find intent where there may or may not be in the document. But if, if an artist is saying, I want to put this out into the world, I believe it's important to the conversation and the discourse. I feel it in my soul. I'm going to put it out there. They their business is our art. Like Michael said, they have to do commerce. We can't box their intellect into just like you have to do it for free. Now, are, is there a chilling effect? Carlo asked others before you joined, do you see a chilling effect potentially on that creative expression? It depends if you're basing it out on someone else's work already. So 
And, and so it's more restrictive now than it was last month in your head. Maybe not. I don't know if I'd, I would call it restrictive. I would just, I just don't see how, I mean, do you actually see it as transformative? I know Josh is going to say yes, but do you objectively say putting color on these photographs was transformative from like a just Without a doubt, because it's a, it took, it took, without a doubt in my non-legal eyes, and I'll say it like without legal, like the case law and the prodigy there, like the jurisprudence could, could that's not what I'm talking about, but as just a, a viewer, it took Andy Warhol a lifetime for to create something where I recognized it as his. And that's what we're, we are rewarding and protecting as an original artist. And that context of who he is, who he was, Josh said it particularly articulately. Um, so I'll leave it to him. But I think that that context is very not only important, but the only thing. But doesn't that go to style and fame? No, not in this instance, because it was he, it was his work. It was, but you were only able to recognize it because of who he was and his style. It was also signed and promoted by him and everything yeah, else. Yeah, but if you like, didn't know who he was and he hadn't built that reputation, would you still you're think exa- the same? You're, I agree a thousand percent. Without that context that was true in this case, I would agree with you. Like, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done that same physical thing and made it transformative. And I think we need to value that body of work in the art and conversation. Can I say one thing? Please. So I think... so. It's interesting. Michael, were you going to say something? Oh. Michael, then Josh. Oh, great. Um, so this this whole, basically my summary, <laughs> I did in the tweet. I don't know if I'm was, rugged or not. It, was basically. Josh, you're rugged. Join us again if you can hear me. Ah, okay. I'll DM yeah. Go ahead, Michael. Can you guys hear me? Um, was basically like Warhol's position or Warhol's estate's position was, I'm Andy Warhol. If I did it, it's transformative because that's what I do. I do soup cans and bananas and Marilyn Monroe and I do prints and you recognize it as Warhol, Warhol transformative game over. Um, and basically the other side of that Goldsmith and the way the majority turned out was if everything an artist touches is transformed, it doesn't fair you swallow up infringement by derivative work. And therefore, you know, we're more comfortable looking at the business side. Now, I think this opinion is, I think part of what people are reacting to is, is it's, it's, it's kind of a surprise. Like it takes like a left turn because everyone thought the analysis of what transformative use is looks at like, what's the art? How did it change? What's different? And instead the majority opinion is like, no, don't look there at all. Just look, only look at the commercial space and say, um, you know, is it competing in the same space? And if it is game over. And I think that, and, and so to me at the point of creation, you might not even know if you don't know if it's fair use or not until you say, okay, I'm going to now do it and license it in this way or use it in this way. Now it doesn't bother me too much to say that certain uses, like if I have something that I copied, let's say I just recontextualize it or whatever. Let's say I took it and I turned it yellow. Um, and I know there, that we all have differences of opinions as to whether that's transformative or not, but let's just say I took someone else's art, I copied it, but painted it yellow. And I said, here's my Mike Kasdan. It, it strikes me that it's not unfair to say that certain uses of the, of that could be fair, but certain uses of that could be unfair. And so I get what the majority was doing. I just think it's, it is a change and it is different than I think folks um, looking at the history of sort of fair use and transformative use cases, you know, thought we were going to get. And so how it, how, how this kind of 
trickles through the courts and what it becomes is going to be interesting because I think it is a new way of looking at it. Um, I appreciate why the court went there, but it is new. And, and in terms of whether it gives a wide enough berth to fair use, um, you know, some have said like, look, I think it's actually does give it a pretty wide berth. And others have said, no, it's too narrow and it's going to make it terrible for, for artists. And that's what the dissent was going at. But um, yeah. So anyway, just want to add that layer. Do either of you, do any of you have, like, what's the paragraph or three lines that's going to be repeated by the circuit courts? Like, like, is there a bright line rule? And what's the verbiage on that that you guys can distill? It's is there definitely, one, is, definitely somewhere in my 40 tweet thread. I'm not, so lot. it's in that thread. I would say there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I really there's a lot they, of new rules, Ellie. Yeah. Not new oh, rules, I but so. I, I, I extracted a lot. Of, I, I mean, I took like quotes from it that I would kind of use. Yeah. So like, I took a lot. I mean, I don't know. I extracted a lot of quotes that I don't know that I could even piece together because they kind of go to towards different points. But I, I saw a lot of nuggets in there. I, I just yeah, there are a lot. I think, but I mean, the the main one I think is about hey, we're looking at use, and if it's an overlapping use. You look at the purpose and use of it, and if it overlaps, it's going to weigh against it being transformative and fair. Um, there's also some quote about, hey, we can't really just look at the intent of an artist early on. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I have to go back and find one. it. But... No, I highlighted that one, yeah, too, yeah. because they mentioned that um, yeah. they contrasted with the Court of Appeals where they said that the court should not assume the role of a critic or art critic or something like that. And then they went, yeah. and then they ended with, although the court should not do that, um, they should consider like the the extent necessary, to, so the actual perception and to the extent is necessary to determine whether it deviates from the original work. So like the derivative work uh, or the transformative is built on that original work. I think that that was inter- I highlighted that one too. I thought it was interesting that they kind of made that contrast of like yeah. You know, I, we're not. I think it's also important. Yeah. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Um, I, I think it's also important. The court also said that this does not mean that derivative works borrowing heavily from the original can't be fair use. Um, and it actually talked about it actually contrasted Warhol, Warhol's Campbell suit cams to this situation, basically saying like that was making an artistic comment about consumerism. Right. Whereas Campbell was using their label to sell soup. Warhol was using it to comment on something. Therefore, that's fair use. But that's not the situation here. I would love to pivot the conversation to what potential implications this has. And I want to direct this first to Ellie. I can see this being teed up to go back to the Supreme Court on the training models for AI and the generation of art and whether this is an overextension of the derivative use to the point that it is now potentially diluting the value that copyright holders can derive from their work because it's being fed into the AI models. Is there an argument to be made there, Allie and uh, Allie, Ellie? And what does that argument look like? I actually think just got uh, this got overly complicated. I think one one thing, and I just uh, I just realized this earlier today. I think we need to start separating the models that are based only on text and the models that are just based on images because they have different kind of uh, uh, inputs and outputs. And I say that because when it comes to this case, I think this may go towards three major things. The first, the ingestion for the learned system, so that the, the learned language models that go into the learning phase of the, the AI systems, and then into the outputs. But I think it may have different 
implications when it comes to literary works and and, and maybe I'm wrong but I, I see it as, as two separate kind of implications Mike I know you raised your hand so go ahead oh no I don't disagree with that but I was just saying I think and you probably know better than I do but for the you know, I've watched the AI cases and I think in in the AI cases that have been filed so far um, like Anderson against Ability AI and 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 um, Getty against Ability AI. Um, I, I think there are two things about this opinion that kind of connected it back to that for me. Um, one was, and I mentioned this earlier, but one was Getty was saying like, "Look, you're 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 training on our data, and then you're creating images that are basically competing with us, and to, and and that can't be fair use." And I think this opinion actually strengthens that this argument. This case law will will come that's into a good play point. in that pending matter. But that's where the output, yeah, the second. I don't think that's the, yeah, the, that's on the output, suggestion. and then the second. Oh, sorry. Oh no, just oh, the, the second. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, what was the second, the second, oh, right. The second way this connected in my mind, at least was, you know, we're talking about this concept of like, Hey, is, is, is it copyright infringement to train? Is it, is there copying, you know, is it transformative? All these questions are complicated and, and as yet unanswered, but, but one of the, um, one of the kind of concepts that comes out of it is like, Hey, I should be compensated in some way if you're training on my stuff and making money. I should get something. And there's a point where basically in, in this majority opinion, um, and it was there was a pretty there was some snippiness going back and forth in the majority and, and dissent because I think they're very they're important issues and they're kind of strongly held views. But basically the majority was like, this isn't like the end of art and creativity. It's not gonna we're not gonna be sent back into the dark ages. It's not gonna be this horrible thing that the dissent passed. But rather basically we're basically the question we're asking is like, should Goldsmith like get a piece of this or not? Right. And so I think this concept of like, hey, should we give someone like a little percentage of something um, to compensate them for the fact that their stuff is being used? I just see that sort of same theme um, being put forward in those AI cases, um, even though, you know, it's not clear to me that copyright infringement is, the ve is an easy vehicle. There's some, you know, someone says like, hey, like we should be licensing this stuff to you to use. And I think it seems like this also paves the way for more of that right less of just using someone else's stuff and saying hey it's fair use um and more like hey like maybe i should get a license and give that person you know a small percentage but doesn't this i just go, that, those are the two things I but see. doesn't this go against the google case if for ai it, in particular in some ways yes yeah it's a good point you should talk about that <laughs> i'm just saying i i just think that we one we need to separate because i don't know how getty is going to be able to prove that all the images are going to be transformative in nature if they can't prove what went in the ingested data that's number one and then right um, right but then even to your point as far as like the transformative use like you will have to have images that are actually competing uh, as outputs with existing works and then you will have to have specific cases of that happening Otherwise, how would you be able to go through like a copyright infringement if you don't have those images in the in the first place? So I think that that's why I like to differentiate with the ingested data and the outputs, because I think that if you're going to claim that's copyright infringement, copyright infringement could happen at two stages. It could happen at the, at the time that the ingested data goes into the system and there's a copy, whether that's a permanent copy or not. Um, and we'll have case law that it doesn't need to be permanent. It could be like a RAM, in a RAM or cloud. Um, but just the fact that there's a copy of that specific you know, information that went into the system, that at that point there could be infringement, right. and then at the output level there could be separate infringement, and that that could be even infringement on the person who's using those images. 
uh, or using the system because the systems often have those terms of use where they release all liability to the user so that even the user could be held liable potentially. I'm not saying that they can't. I'm just saying that you could make an argument that they're the ones that are sure. liable for using that image image that was created based on the inputs, not the ingested data that generated that Yeah, input. I think I think... Yeah, I think the other thing that comes out of the focus on inputs versus outputs, which I agree is really important to actually do the analysis of copyright infringement for AI. The other thing I think that comes out of this case that I thought of while you were just speaking um, was, is, you know, assessing whether something is fair use. Um, like you can't do it until you get to the output stage because mm -hmm. you don't know what the use is going to be. It's not at the point of creation. It's at the point of kind of like output and business use. Exactly. But how do you reconcile question? How do you, how do you reconcile this, this distinction as far as the input between either type prompt or photograph or image prompt with the, in the style of prompt, is there a distinction within a distinction that needs to be made there? That's a tough one. I, I, I mean, and the style, styles are not copyrighted. I mean, you can't, you can't protect the style, but like Ray said, I think style goes to the point of like, if it's someone that he could recognize that is an artist, then that, I, I think that goes towards- the It question. could go to transformativity, not it, so much copyrightability. It, well, exactly, because you were able to recognize that person is based on this case, they focused on that. They focused on the, I mean, not that they focused on that, but they, they focused on the fact, they did mention that Warhol was the popular one, like the, he was the artist, whatever, like he was well known for this, doing this. So I don't know, I, I, I'm split on, on how to go about this style when it's literally using prompts. Yeah. I think that in the style of uh, question is it's a bit of a double edged sword because like in the Anderson stability AI case, they basically said like, look, they're saying like, do produce art in the style of me. Hey, shouldn't I be compensated for that? And I think that's emotionally appealing. But like Ellie said, like style is not protectable under copyright with very yeah. rare. So, so it actually, I think makes it a little bit more difficult rather than just, you know, talking in general about the machine learning and training on someone else's data being an infringement. I think we have to understand, is there a connection between the actual practical effect that we haven't seen from AI with this proliferation? So can this system, can this new rule structure that I'm hearing from you all break down from this case be gamified a bit where AI and machine learning can create these images and now all of a sudden really anything new is close enough to say, well, you, I, I, like Michael said, I need a piece of that, just a small fair piece. So like if the third issue that plays into this is copyrightability of AI generated images, because if that is allowed and can proliferate, it can kind of change the, the game theory of all of this. Does any of that make sense, Ellie? Mike? Yeah, and I think it does. And it also made me think of like, what happens in the case there's a language model that is trained on specific license data, for example, like the it, like Firefly for, from Adobe. And then it spits out uh, an output that um, it's potentially very close, like you mentioned, to something existing from like a Warhol or something, but it was not intentional. Like there was no data that went into the system that actually used similar inputs or for the ingested data. So what happens in Is that intention case? needed for a human creation to be in violation of copyright? No. The Bart Scompson? No, it was actually mentioned. Okay. The, wasn't that mentioned in the case, Mike? They, didn't they mention intent? The intent of the artist is irrelevant, in other words? 
Yeah, they said intent. I forget the exact quote, but like you know, you can't just you can't just base the question of fair use on the intent. Uh, one thing here, guys, in terms of copyright law, there is no way you can register an idea. So, in in the case of uh, AI, if you call a prompt an idea that came from your head, then that is not copyrightable. So it it gets so messy, you know. Well, and not only that, but I'd like to something that I found very fascinating about the Getty case in particular. And I, I wish the Supreme Court case was more of a license case than a copyright case. But the Getty thing is interesting because part of their claim is that a lot of these outputs are just monstrosities and they have the Getty watermark in it. You know, like the hands are all messed up. It's all discombobulated. Now, always the hands. <laughs> yeah, always the hands. It's always the hands. And I know I'm in, you know, the outskirts of an opinion here. But for me, that's actually like artistic, like taking like this Getty image and then distorting it beyond belief through a computer system, I think has artistic merit. Not that that was the intention of it, but then it does beg the question, you know, should it really focus solely on the output? Breaching a license may be one thing, but for copyright issues, really, isn't it going to be a case by case on the outputs? You're probably one of those people who like those hot dog fingers and everything everywhere all at once, aren't you? I love the hot dog fingers. You are absolutely right. My friend, absolutely. I love it. Another phenomenal conversation. Um, I think this one is definitely worth playing back, especially for the artists and creators in this space who are trying to figure out how to navigate this stuff. I think a big takeaway from all of this is that there should be proper agreements in place and lawyers should definitely be consulted by artists who want to protect and defend the derivative use of their work. Uh, there'll definitely be more debate and discussion about this. Mike, thank you so much for joining us and for your amazing TLDR. Although I got it, I got some, I got some flack when I put it up there that it was a TLDR because it is such a long thread that it really probably goes farther than TLDR. That's fair. But I do a, have one tweet in there that's a TLDR, so there is that. <laughs> but it's amazing, and always enjoy talking with you. You've been on Lexline before as a guest, and we always enjoy hearing from you, Ellie, Josh. Everyone who came up Thanks and spoke all. today, yes. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Uh, definitely retweet this one because I think this one is worth uh, worth people listening to because there's a lot to be taken from this and a lot of important information I think the community could benefit from. Jenko, as always, I love doing this with you and uh, look forward to doing it again on Tuesday. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Thank you, guys. Thank Bye-bye. you all. Have a nice weekend. Thank you, guys.